Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. Welcome back to the Think Orange podcast. My name is Dave. And as always, our goal here is to encourage, inspire, and resource you by giving you access to the speakers, the thought leaders, and the experts who are rethinking and reimagining the way ministry can be done. Now, for all of you listening who work with kids or teenagers, you are probably already aware of the anxiety crisis happening amongst students. This issue has only grown in the past two years, and you may already have been looking for resources to help you know how to help those around you, which is why today we're joined by Dr. Chinway Williams and Will Hutchison to talk about what you can do to help young people facing despair, depression, and anxiety. Chinway and Will have just released a brand new book for pastors, volunteers, parents, mentors, really anyone connected with youth today. It's called Seen, Healing Despair and Anxiety in Kids and Teens Through the Power of Connection. You can grab your copy today on Amazon or at thescenebook.com. Now, I really believe that this may be one of the most helpful episodes of the podcast we've ever done, as Chinway and Will share five things you can do today to help a child heal. Well, Will and Chinway, thank you so much for joining us on the Think Orange podcast. How are you guys? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here with you, Dave and Will. So it's great to see you again, Dave. Yeah, good to see you, Dave. Thanks for having us. Yeah, not a problem. So you guys, um, you know, we've already talked about this in the intro, but you've written this new book called Scene. Can you tell us a little bit about, I don't know, which of you I I direct this to, but can somebody tell me a little bit about the book that you wrote, why you wrote it and what it covers? Go ahead, Shinwei. So we wrote this book because, Dave, as you know, an increasing amount of children and adolescents are experiencing depression, they're Mm. experiencing anxiety, they're experiencing despair. And actually, per the latest stat that I was able to look at um, from the CDC, we were able to see that 7.1% of kids ages 3 to 17 years old, and by the way, that's approximately 4.4 million people, 4.4 million kids have diagnosed anxiety. So not just nervousness and worry, but they have met criteria for a mental health condition called anxiety. And mm. that is uh, similar to what we're seeing with depression. So 3.2% of kids here in the U.S. are experiencing a diagnosable level of depression. So that's a big deal. And we're all feeling it as parents, yeah. as educators, as leaders, And what Will and I were finding over the course of writing this book and certainly um, years before in the work that we do is that parents and leaders want to help, but they just weren't sure what to do. Yeah. So this book was our way of offering really simple and practical steps for parents and leaders and any caring adult who loves kids and teens to figure out how to see, hear, and connect with kids and teens. That's awesome. Yeah. Those stats are absolutely incredible. And I know from uh, the work that I'm doing for Orange uh, here in Australia and New Zealand, that the stats are very similar in this part of the world. And with the conversations I have with church leaders uh, in Europe, 
it's it's almost exactly the same there. So obviously this is a huge, you know, this is a, a worldwide, it's, it's a worldwide issue uh, in line with the pandemic of COVID, right? I mean, it feels like this is a bit of a pandemic as well. So obviously the, the we, we've stated the problem. I'd love to know, and, and I'd love our audience to know like a little bit of your background, both of your background when it comes to working with, with teenagers and working with kids who, who fall within this category. Yeah, so I've been a next-gen pastor, student pastor for the last 15 years. And so like Chin Wei, I've uh, you know, talked to so many parents, youth leaders, other youth pastors who have just felt um, helpless when, with this issue of mental health. Mm. And so uh, experiencing that kind of caused you know, me to, to go on a journey of, hey, what can I do and how do we find practical solutions and so in 2018, I started a nonprofit called Curate Hope, where I started working with public and private schools across the nation, just trying to find practical tools and did a lot of research. And yeah. that's how Chin Wei and I got together because of her work with mental health. Uh, it kind of brought us together to uh, find these practical solutions with yeah. SCENE. Yeah, uh, my background is in um, schools. So I started my career as a high school counselor. And I was barely like legal age when I started. So I felt so overwhelmed. I felt like the kids were bigger than me, probably smarter than me. Um, so I had to learn a lot on the job. And so a lot of what I learned is you can't do sufficient, adequate, excellent work with kids without pulling in their support system. Mm. So we as a counseling staff did a lot of lessons and after school programs and, and nighttime, you know, events and morning time, get your coffee and donut events for parents and for, you know, family members and caring adults in the community who wanted to be a part of the kids support system. So I did that for a number of years. I mm. taught, um, graduate students who want to be counselors for a number of years at a couple of different schools. And currently I have my own practice in Roswell, Georgia, where I see adolescents, I see um, uh, families, I see college students, and I work a lot with uh, schools and faith-based organizations yeah. and churches. So that's a little bit about my background. I'm all about, you know, stress, anxiety management, um, trauma recovery, and overall mental and emotional wellness. Mm. Okay, so so you guys have stated the problem, and clearly you're both well credentialed to talk about the problem. But I think probably the question that uh, you know I would imagine as a dad myself that a lot of parents and, and obviously people who work within uh, with kids in the church or the school space probably the question they would most ask is why why are we seeing such a dramatic spike or an increase. Uh, when it comes to kids who are facing despair and anxiety and depression? Like, what is, what is it that's causing that? I think that's a really big question. And I think the why question, we could get pretty deep into the weeds of the why question, because I think there's a lot of variables. But if we really look at just kind of how God's wired our brains and what our basic needs are, our core needs are, mm. um, at the end of the day, what we're facing as a society and, and really globally is we're facing a lack of our needs being met and specifically the need for connection and the need to be seen. And so, yes, we could point to like a lot of other variables and everyone always likes to point to social media and say, social media caused this. And uh, there may be some... Uh, I don't think social media helped, but I don't think it caused uh, our current mental health crisis. 
there's a lot of variables, but when you really take the layers of the onion back, it comes back to core needs Mm -hmm. and how we're wired and how God wired our brains. And we need connection. We need love and we need empathy. That helps us to have full wholeness and healing Mm -hmm. and, and health spiritually, physically, and mentally. Yeah. That's awesome. I know we're going to unpack that a little bit further um, during this course of this conversation, but uh, since you brought it up, um, I would love to, I'd love to know what role, if any, social media does play because I work in the social media space. Uh, A lot of what I do with Orange and a lot of what I do with uh, churches around the world is help them with their social media. And one of the things that I've found, uh, especially when I work with teens around the whole social media thing is, you know, a lot of them have 10,000 followers, but they don't feel like they have any friends or any community, like real community. So they, you know, we've got a generation growing up in this space where they've got that many followers, but they don't feel like they have community. So I'd just love to unpack that. Just one layer more, like does social media play a role? And and if so, how? And then if, you know, again, I'm going to ask selfishly as a parent, as a dad with three teenage daughters, how do I fix this? How do I, how do I solve that? Yeah, I want to, I want to weigh in here. Social media is a mix bag and Will is 100% correct. It's often the low hanging fruit. So it's the thing that uh, we as adults often point to. um, But let's face it, the three of us, you know, Dave, this is the space that you work in, right? This is part of your livelihood. Um, But the three of us are deeply connected to social media. And it's a way for us to do oftentimes our ministry and for Mm. Will and I, in particular, we are mental health advocates. And so especially this past year with the pandemic, we have been able to share real information that debunks so many myths and starts to reduce the stigma that mental health sadly still holds across the globe. So social media isn't a bad thing, but here's the issue. Our kids, at least the kids that I've been counseling for years now, social media has been around for a while, they're increasingly connected Um, They're constantly connected. And so while that's probably been the case for a while, um, I'll speak to teenagers. And Dave, I know you've got some teenagers at home. What happens in the teenage brain is a need to compare themselves to their peers. And so now they're Mm -hmm. having more and more pressure to keep up and to keep up with appearances and to keep up with status. And like you mentioned, to keep up with followers. And so the problem with that is that that then becomes a way for them to measure their self-worth by how many likes they get, how many followers they get. Mm -hmm. And what I've seen with some of my teenagers is that they often find validation in that. Um, Mm. And that is not going to be helpful in the long run. And if they don't get enough likes, then obviously I don't have enough friends or my friends really don't care about me. And that starts to reinforce in their developing teenage brain that they're not good enough. So that's mm-hmm. the problem with social media, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I see that as well, especially like in in my own girls, um, I see that. I've constantly tried to instill in them, when you're looking at somebody's Instagram feed, you're seeing their highlight reel, not their real life. 
But, and, and it's interesting that Instagram took away the likes for this very reason, right? Um, but now, I don't know how much you keep up with this, but they actually have reintroduced likes again so that yeah. you can opt into likes. And I know a lot of, like my girls, for example, using them as the, the, the thumbnail, they definitely have turned lights back, likes back on and I see that sort of kicking up again. The next question I have is, is what can we do like as adults, as parents, as youth pastors, as people, as grandparents, as people who, you know, adults who care about the kids in our lives, whether they're our nieces, nephews, sons, daughters, grandchildren, what can we do? What's the practical? And I know that this is, you know, we obviously want people to buy the book and this is what the book is about, but can you give me like just, just one thing that like, what would be a practical thing for the people listening to this podcast that they could say, Hey, here's one thing we can do. Well, the big idea of the book is that we, we dove into how are our brains wired because our brains are an organ just like any other part of our, our system. And so we want to know, how did God create our brain? And obviously, he didn't just leave us without hope, right? And when we look into research and we look at all the science that's kind of confirming some of the best practices, we found that through attachment research and through parent-child connection, that there are significant things, important things that caring adults can do to help influence the brain back to healing when a kid is experiencing despair, anxiety, or depression. And so to put it in a small little quick synopsis is essentially you have the right side of your brain, which is your emotional processing, and the left side of your brain, which is your logical processing. And when we experience high stress or alarm, cortisol, a stress hormone kind of floods the brain and creates that kind of fight, flight, or freeze response. Mm -hmm. And what this does is it kind of creates a detachment between the two parts of the brain, the right side and the left side. Uh, this is why oftentimes when somebody's experiencing high despair, you ask them how they feel and they just say, I don't know, mm -hmm. or I feel numb. And it's because we need the left side of our brain in order to process feelings into words. And so the cool thing is, is that through connection, through love and empathy, it helps influence the brain and actually brings those two sides back together and restore mm -hmm proper processing. It's another phrase we, we like to use is this emotional exhale. Yeah. It allows all that emotional energy to kind of exhale out and kind of bring back a whole brain processing. And the cool thing is, is that to help influence the brain towards that, caring adults, parents, grandparents, youth pastors can do simple things. I mean, they, they, they're very simple tools, uh, not always simple to execute uh, and to apply, but they're simple tools that really work to, uh, to help the brain to heal. Yeah. I, I, reading the book last night, there was one thing that really caught my attention around this whole thing of the left brain, right brain, right? And I'd love for one of you to unpack this. Uh, somewhere in there, as I was reading, it said, if your kid is processing things from the right side of the brain as the caring adult, I need to come in with the right side of my brain. Whereas typically, you know, if they're emotional, I come in because I'm a dad, I come in logically well, that doesn't make sense. Um, I don't understand why you'd feel, or, or just the simple don't feel that way, right? So that's, I'm, I'm approaching them with the left side of my brain to the right side of theirs or vice versa. So can you unpack that? Like, because that for me really stood out because I went back to all those times I've gone, oh my gosh, I went in with the wrong side of my brain. That was an eye-opening thing. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Yeah. Well, you went in on the wrong side of your brain because that side of your brain wasn't activated. Mm. It wasn't activated, but um, the right side of their brain was. And what Will was saying earlier, I think applies here is that neuroscience confirms that a relational connection promotes 
healing of the brain. And so the brain can heal from anxiety, from depression, from despair, but it's going to take those intentional steps. And so the right side connecting with the right side through language, through empathy is powerful. Those mm. are the steps that we cover in the book. And when you asked earlier, what can parents do to help? Um, I want, first of all, parents to know and leaders to know and youth pastors to know that you can help. And it's about strengthening those connections, those you know neuron connections in the brain by strengthening the relationship. And one first step that I just want to share with your audience is yeah. empathy. Empathy. Mm -hmm. So that right brain, right brain, and Will can weigh in there, starts with just trying to understand how your child, how your teenager, how your student is feeling by placing yourself in their shoes and trying to mm -hmm. think to yourself, what would you want to hear in that same situation, if you're going through those same set of circumstances, would you want to hear, get over it, or, ah, oh, don't worry about it, it'll be okay, or would you want someone to really connect with mm. how you were feeling in the moment? That helps kids and teens to feel seen. Yeah, that's good. And I love that the, the book is so practical, right? You don't just talk about it from this high level thing. Like there's literally say this, say this. And here's a list of things that you, you could, again, as a dad, that was super helpful for me. And I tucked that little section away and highlighted it because I know I'm going to need that at some point, but not just as a dad. I mean, I, this is super helpful from a pastoral point of view for, for the, we have a lot of uh, student and youth pastors who, who listen to this. And I know, well, some of your stories in there about how you maybe mess things up and wish you could do a do, get a do-over and, and treat some kids. That was super helpful as well, right? So you obviously have learned a lot during this process. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I learned as a pastor is that I was kind of doing it backwards. And I think in the church, you know, we, we want to instill these timeless truths into the hearts of the next generation. So we're quick to speak life. We're quick to speak scripture. We're quick to help them to develop, re, you know, resilience and to build grit to get through life because life's going to be hard and mm. just suck it up because you got to, you know, and Jesus is with you. And, and we want to speak all these truths. And all those truths are true. Like, that's the end goal, right? The end goal is grit. The end goal is resilience. We talk about that in the book. But it was where, where my starting place was. Mm. I was. I was missing that right side of the brain. And I was just quickly going to the left side. And as a pastor, I started to realize, man, I'm kind of overshooting. I'm missing it. I'm not connecting with the heart. Uh, one of the phrases I, I tell teachers when I go into schools is, we have to connect with the heart before we can lead the mind. Mm. And in the same way, uh, as pastors, we have to connect with the heart. We have to let them emotionally exhale before we can really lead them to these timeless truths and speaking life over them and helping them to develop grit. That's so good. You know, as a pastor myself, I have a lot of friends who are rabbis and they say this Jewish phrase, they say, if you speak to a man's head, his heart will sometimes follow. But if you speak to his heart, his head will always follow. And I've always used that from a messaging you know, when you're on the platform preaching a sermon point of view and not really processed it until I read the book and, and, and had you will unpack some of the, the failings that you've, uh, you know, that you share in the book made me realize, oh, I don't do that on a personal level though. So for me as a pastor who works with uh, adults as well as working with, with uh, students, that was super helpful for me. The question that I have popping up in my head at the moment though is some of the book feels like a uh, psychological book 
psychology book. Some of it feels like, you know, biblical application, Christian, quote unquote, Christian book. Um, where did you approach it from when you were writing it? Were you coming from it from the medical psychological perspective or, or from a biblical perspective? Will, do you want to start or do you want me to share? <laughs> I, would, I would say yes and yes. Uh, we, we really did approach it from both in, you know, I could philosophically just say, it's all spiritual, right? Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> yes. the, the yes. brain is this unique place where the physical and the spiritual kind of collide mm-hmm. together. And so that's, that's a good. big statement, by the way. I recognize that. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a whole other podcast world. We're going <laughs> to have you both back on to unpack that. But, keep, <laughs> but, but Chinway, you obviously came from, I don't know, not obviously. Did you come from, yeah. from a different perspective with your background in counseling? Yes. So I will say that um, I'm a Jesus girl. I've always been a Jesus girl and I have been trained from a secular perspective. So mm-hmm. for me, I want to say to anyone that's listening that despite what early psychologists have believed, like Freud, he's probably the most famous, and what a lot of maybe anti-psychology Christians believe I think that psychology and spirituality, just like Will mentioned, are complementary. I think that it's all spiritual Mm. and it imparts, spirituality imparts a deeper meaning to our lives. And so faith helps to shift our our perspective. And so what I think uh, Will and I tried to do in this book is to help show that um, weaknesses Uh, Mm. shortcomings, disappointments, frustrations can always point us to a higher power that's bigger than us, that's greater than anything Mm. that we possess um, on a fleshly level. So I think that the spiritual component of human existence is, is um, is, is really a point of inspiration. Yeah. And so that is what helps to produce, I think, lasting change. So that's, that's what I mean by the both. That's so good. And I would, I would love to just encourage both of you that you did a fantastic job of, of addressing both because there were times when I felt like I was reading a devotional and there was times when I was feeling, I felt like I was reading a church strategy book. And there are other times when I felt like I was reading a psychology book and to have those so interwoven um, was, was super helpful for me as a pastor, was super helpful for me as a dad. So uh, credit to you both. You, you handled it fantastically. Hey, I know there are probably parents and student leaders who are li- listening to this podcast. And as you guys are talking about the left side and right side of the brains and, and, and some strategies, I bet you that there is a moment or a face that's popping up into their head of somebody who they know who, you know, a student who they love, who they're caring for, who they're trying to lead, or, or maybe a son or a daughter who they obviously love as well. And, and they're, they're dealing with some sort of depression, anxiety, despair, shame right now. And that person, the parent, feels helpless in that situation. They feel like there's no hope and they don't know what to do. What would you say to that person who's feeling just hopeless at the moment, not sure how to handle the situations that are in front of them? Well, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is um, never underestimate the power of your presence. Never underestimate the power of just being there. It's, you know, in the pastoral ministry, we call it the ministry of presence, right? Mm. That, that's 50% of the work is just knowing that, that somebody is there. And um, so if you're, you know, if you're struggling uh, or you're with a kid or a teenager who is struggling, sometimes just being present and saying nothing at all can be the best thing that we can do. 
Mm. And so it seems like maybe you're not doing enough, but you are. Your love and empathy really matters. And so just keep showing up. Yeah, I love that, Will. Um, And the other thing I would add to that is show up as yourselves, whether you're a parent, whether you're an educator, a coach, a youth pastor, show up as being human. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that I believe that um, parents and leaders can teach kids and teens how to cope with big, powerful emotions like anxiety and despair and depression by showing them how it's done. So if you're having a bad day, let them know that you needed a minute mm. this morning. You needed some extra time with the Lord. You needed to go for a run. You needed to put down social media for a couple of days because the incoming was really overwhelming. Mm. Naming your own feelings and showing um, your kids and teens that you go through stuff too, but also how you're managing what you're going through. I really believe helps kids and teens understand that this is sadness. And nervousness and worry is a normal part of the, you know, human yeah. condition and that they that's can really overcome good. it. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's good. Chinway, can I ask you a question specifically? Um, you know, we, we hear words like despair and depression uh, raised constantly in our modern world, whether it's dealing with kids or whether even with adults. But in the book, you outline the difference between despair and depression. Can you like just really thumbnail that for everybody and, and give them a working definition so they can notice yeah. it a little bit more more clearly? Yeah, and we really wanted to take a little bit of time to, to dissect this because I think the words get thrown out and it's, um, it's difficult because there's so many overlaps and it can mm. be used interchangeably. But I think it's important to know when you're going through depression, it impacts almost every major and important part of your life. So it impacts you socially and relationally. It impacts the way you are with your family members. It impacts the way you show up at work. It impacts the way you see the world and the way that you view yourself. And it can last for days. It can last for weeks, months, or years. So Mm. depression really is a mental health condition that needs to be treated. Despair, on the other hand, can have many of the same symptoms where you're having difficulty concentrating. So it's hard to think and focus. Mm. You want to isolate. You want to feel, you feel lonely and yet it's hard to connect with other people, right? You want to connect, but then you pull up social media and you see that people are hanging out and you're like, well, why, why wasn't I invited? But then you forget you didn't pick up the phone for the last week. Mm. So a lot of those things are, you know, common symptoms of both depression and despair. But with despair, it comes on intensely. It often comes on suddenly. And it often has to do with a relationship, a Mm. relationship that is disrupted, that is in disrepair, that there's some sort of rupture. Um, Not always. It can have to do with a loss, such as, you know, a family member who all of a sudden is, is hospitalized or no longer with you, but despair typically doesn't, it doesn't have like the long lasting effects um, that depression does. So there, the book in in the book, we really go through it in great detail. Just know that there's lots of overlap, but either way, if you are leading a student, a teenager, a kid, or if you are raising a student, teenager, or kid that's experiencing any of the symptoms that I just mentioned, difficulty concentrating, difficulty connecting with other people, mm. 
they're losing weight, they're not eating, some really marked changes in their behavior. If it's lasting two weeks or longer and it's happening more days than not, please, please, please seek the help of a professional, mm. which includes your child's primary care doctor or pediatrician. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Thank you for clearing that up. And the, and again, you outlined this so well in the book. I found for, for myself, and if I can be super candid and authentic here, you know, I know you wrote it. The tagline is healing anxiety and despair in kids and teens through the power of connection. And so I know you wrote it. Uh, the, the audience for the book is for people who are caring for uh, teens and, and kids. And Chinway, the, the stats you, show, you shared at the start about how young this starts is mind blowing. But as somebody who last, uh, you know, in 2020 uh, was diagnosed with depression myself, I found it was, the book was super helpful for me. Like it was healing for me to figure out how my adult brain was doing the same thing. So, you know, I don't want people to just think that this is a, a book for people who are, who are caring for kids, which we all should if we're, we're parents or we're uncles and aunts and, and grandparents or whatever. But I found it super helpful for me. And I was reading, as I was reading through it, I was like, here's some things that like when I was diagnosed with depression, uh, here's some things that my wife did that really helped me walk through that and get through the to the other side of it i would love to know from both of you maybe your top three what, what are the top three things that a parent or a grandparent or a student leader can do to help a child in their care heal when they're facing depression anxiety or despair what what would just be th like three maybe you can share it maybe you get one each and then you you agree on the <laughs> final third one <laughs> well, we have five tools. So. Yes, yes. Can we do five, Dave? Let's do can five. Do quick, Let's do quick five. five. Yeah, it's five quick practical five. things that people can do like as soon as they finish listening to this podcast. Okay, so I'll, I'll do the first one. The first one I already kind of talked about is, is simply to show up. That yeah. when we show up, that is the, that's 50% of the work. Just being present. Presence matters. And especially in an age of, of digital connectivity, when you have somebody who's face-to-face -face with you, that you can, you can touch, you know, that there's, there's a presence there that matters. And it really influences our brain. It makes a difference when we can see facial expressions, we can hear the tone of a voice mm. and we see somebody with us. It makes a big difference to help influence the brain towards healing. All right. So I've got the second one, right? See them, see them. And what we mean by see them, you'll learn in the book, but one quick tip is to see past the behavior, see beyond mm. the frustrating, um, seemingly negative or upsetting behaviors that they're exhibiting because we don't know what their little hearts um, or their big hearts that their teenagers are holding. We don't know what pressures, what frustrations, what grief, what loss, what traumas that mm. they're experiencing. And when you see past the behavior, check in with them. And so this is sort of two for one. Ask about how they're feeling and if they're not able to articulate it because when you're depressed or anxious or in despair mm. it's hard to articulate your emotions some people do so beautifully through writing but if your kid or teen isn't able to talk about that pull out a feelings wheel and say are you feeling any of these things i've noticed a shift in your behavior instead of saying don't worry about it or you'll get over it say I understand that you're struggling. Mm. Um, what are you feeling? What are you experiencing right now? 
That's good. Yeah, the feelings wheel is in the book, so I, which I think is worth the price of the book alone. But just <laughs> let everybody know it's in there. So check that bit out. Okay, so there's two, three. Will it's over to you for the third. So the third one is to just listen, and listening is a powerful, powerful tool to help uh, that emotional exhale that uh, Chin Wei was referring to. So my favorite phrase, you know, to kind of share quickly is when you're listening to simply say, "Tell me more." So let's say that they finally pick a feeling and they're like, well, I just feel, you know, I just feel anxious. Okay, tell me more and allow them to, to speak. And there might be pauses, there might be tension, tension's okay. But as we truly listen, active listening, eye contact and, and uh, nodding, mirroring their emotions the best we can. Another phrase uh, I commonly use now is, you know, I would imagine that you might feel blank and kind of help them. <laughs> along with some some specific feeling words. That's good. Dave, this might be one of my favorites in the book. And I have so many, I have so many favorites. <laughs> but um, <laughs> our fourth tool is speak life. Speak life. And as a therapist, I'm almost like, I want to pinch myself. Like I get paid to do this mm. because I enjoy it so much. Letting kids and teenagers and even adults and families and anybody that's struggling to know that they're more than their struggle. And what Will and I try to do in this book is to lay all of this down, not that it's going to be like an orderly steps, but when you show up and when you see them and when you listen, there's fertile ground to be able to let them know who they are. And we talked about the likes before, right? And so our mm. kids and our teenagers, the way that their brains are working, that's validation for them. But we want to teach them by consistently and um, predictably letting them know that their worth and their value is in their maker, uh, not good. in Instagram. So Yeah, that's good. All right, Will, fifth one right. from Will. <laughs> the last one is the goal of all of this is to build grit. We want to raise up mighty you know, men and women that will be strong in the faith, right? We want we want them to live out uh, the ways of Jesus, to live in love like Jesus. And so the goal is to, to build grit. We want them to, to thrive in life, not just survive in life, right? And so uh, one, one of the things we talk about in this tool is we talk about dealing with, with uh, negative thinking. And we, we call them ants, and we explain this a little bit further, but it's automatic negative thoughts. And so we have some key questions that you can use to, to really help teenagers and kids to deal with these automatic negative thoughts and to kind of reframe some thought processes to create kind of new grooves in the brain, if you will, to more positive thinking and help them to overcome. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Dave, can I cheat and add, add to that just uh, well, a little well, something? You know, I feel like I can't say no because, you know, when <laughs> somebody asked Jesus to name one great command, <laughs> Dave too. So I feel like you have to. So <laughs> I thought you were going to say, because you love me. Okay. So, yes, bring Jesus well. in all the time. Bring <laughs> Jesus in. Um, I really loved what Will said about building and developing grit. And, and here's the thing. So when our kids are really young, it's easy for us as parents and leaders to have that urge to kind of swoop in and rescue them. But I mm. really want to encourage, I have been screaming this for about 10 years to parents and anybody who wants to hear me out this is critical, especially when we think about anxiety, okay? Anxiety, let me start off with that, tells kids that they can't do it. 
Mm. We as leaders and parents and caring adults have to continuously remind our kids and our teenagers that they can. But if we're swooping in and rescuing them, we're actually giving the opposite message. So Mm. as, as kids get older, their problems become more complex. And especially then we need to really step into the supportive role as opposed to the parenting role. So another podcast. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. That's super helpful. Again, guys, I just want to thank you so much for uh, writing this book. It was helpful for me on so many different levels. Um, so thank you for doing that. I, I have one more question, if, I, if you can indulge me with one more question. And it's simply because, uh, you know, on my screen, what I'm seeing is Will, Dave, and then Chinway. And I feel like, Will, you and I missed out on the exotic name um, the exotic name pool, you know, we missed out somewhere just with Will and Dave, like uh, whatever. Chinway, can you tell us, did, first of all, did I pronounce your name right during this podcast? And second of all, is there, is there like some, did, did I pronounce your name right? That's all I really want to know. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes, you did. Um, were you curious about the origin of my name? Yes, I am. Okay. okay. So my family is from Nigeria and our specific tribe, um, which is really a community, is Igbo. And my name is actually Igbo. And what it means is God's gift to the world in Igbo. And I will tell you that my first year in graduate counseling program, I had a professor named Dr. Chan. I had an appointment with him. He didn't know me. I showed up and his jaw dropped and I was like, did I do something wrong? And he's like, no, I thought you were a Chinese man. So Chen Wei is actually a common Chinese, <laughs> Chinese name for a man. So there you go. Fun fact. Really? Wow. And you just made it even more exotic and I feel even more like left out now. Don't you will? Like we're Will yeah. and Dave. Like, I don't even know what Dave means, but <laughs> that was awesome. Hey, again, thank you so much for joining us on the Think Orange podcast. You guys are awesome. Uh, I'll give some details about where people can pick up the book, but thank you so much, you guys. It's so, so helpful. And I'm just going to continue to encourage people to buy it. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Well, I'm sure you learned a ton of information from that conversation that you can apply to your church or ministry as you navigate difficult conversations with the kids and teenagers in your care. If you'd like to learn more, check out Chinway and Will's brand new book, Scene, on Amazon or at thescenebook.com. That website again, thescenebook.com. And please make sure you share this episode with the rest of your team and with the other church leaders and parents you know, because we want to make sure that every student gets the help they need from the people closest to them. Well, thanks so much for listening. My name is Dave Adamson. And remember, when you think next generation or church strategy, think orange. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com.